When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We've got a fantastic show for all of you listeners today as we are joined by one of the breakout stars of the 2021 ATP season. Of course, you probably know this player best as a former world junior number one, former junior French Open champion. Now, we know him as the 103rd ranked ATP singles player in the world. Of course, I am referring to Holger Rune, who joins the show today to explore his 2021 season. It was a season that saw him qualify for the next-gen finals, earn four different challenger titles along the way and solidify himself as one of the guys to watch moving forward on the ATP tour. Of course, we also had to nerd out with Holger since we had the opportunity to speak with him. I wanted to ask him directly, what growth did he see in his game throughout the course of the season? Of course, it was a year that saw him play over 90 matches. What leads to such aggressive scheduling? Is it better for him to play through his mistakes? Is he chasing points? Again, what leads to that decision? It was fascinating to hear these answers directly from him. And then, of course, we talk about the process of becoming a professional on the court. That means finding an ability to shorten points, develop weapons. He talks about the growth in his serve, in his plus-one forehand throughout the course of the season, why he knows court positioning will be the biggest thing for him moving forward in his career. And then, of course, we talk about developing off the court as well, what decisions you have to make when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to staying disciplined. He talks about how he's incorporated all of those different things into his game and how, you know, again, he hopes to continue growing moving forward over the next couple of seasons. It is a fantastic conversation. For someone who is 18 years old, Holger Rune, incredibly candid, incredibly intelligent. Cannot wait for all of you listeners to hear directly from him. And you can tell, again, he's a young man clearly maturing as he goes through this process so de- uh, dedicated to becoming the best tennis player he can be i do quickly want to preface a couple of things before we get into this interview a i apologize for my microphone quality i think my computer is finally staging a mutiny against me it's done hearing my voice for the duration of 2021 it's like give me a holiday break as such it's going to be computer audio not the best standard but you know again we didn't want to uh, throw this interview out still plenty good enough interview for all of you listeners to enjoy this but not the quality we are used to having so we do apologize for that fact and of course part b i just want to say if you've missed any of our content from this off season we're trying to cover this uh tennis world from every possible angle ensure you remain the most informed best educated fans in the business you miss any of our podcast episodes covering juniors itf challengers atp wta college you can find them all on our website cracker Rackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to each of our podcasts, the Mini Break Podcast, Great Shot Podcast, and this one. Share them with your friends. It would be the greatest holiday gift you could give our Crack Rackets team. Of course, a thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to tune into these episodes. We hope you've enjoyed our off-season coverage. Again, any suggestions for us, feel free to find us on social media at Crack Rackets. You can find me at Great Shot Pod. But with that said, enough prefacing, enough plugging. Let's get to it. Today's conversation with 
former world junior number one. Now ATP number 103, Joining us on the podcast this morning for the first time today is a player who took the tennis world by storm in 2021. Now, of course, you may know him best as a former world junior number one, junior French Open champion. Now the world number 103 in the ATP singles rankings. Welcome onto the show. One of the best 18-year-olds in all of the world, Holger Runa. Holger, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, I've had the, some, a lot of good practicing this preseason, so I'm, I'm feeling good and, and ready to compete soon again. That is awesome to hear. And you talk about being ready to compete. That is fascinating to me because I have a fun stat for you. Since the tour resumed in August, you have played 132 matches. Now, congratulations to you, my friend. That is an awesome number, 94 and 38. You're having a ton of success, but you talk about being ready to get back to competition already. Let's just start right there. How does the body feel after 132 matches in 15 months? Actually, it's never feel better. You know, I'm I'm young and I'm you know getting in better and better shape every day. So it's feeling good. And you know, as as I said, I've been doing a lot of fitness uh, sessions during this preseason. So trying to optimize that fitness and uh, you know it's, it's going really well. And you know, I have uh, I love to compete. I love to play matches. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to to go out there and compete. Again. Is is that what gets you playing 132 matches throughout the course of the year? Obviously, I know you're trying to build your ranking, and we'll talk about your chase of the top 100 a little bit later. But, you know, that is a ton of tennis. And obviously, you know, there's no really training block built in. You were playing for 15 months straight. What leads you to make that scheduling decision? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot about the system, you know, with the frozen ranking and I had very high goals for, for that year. So it, it made me, made me a little, maybe even forced to play a lot of matches and win a lot of matches to, to be even close to, to my goals. And, uh, but also I think it was good because, you know, I really enjoyed playing those matches and learned a lot. I mean, already from this year, I've, I've learned so much and, and I'm so proud of it and, and grateful to have this opportunity to, to play so many tournaments, so many different players and everything. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the things you've learned, obviously, for our listeners who don't know, you made five different challenger finals this year. You won four challenger titles. You got to make, you know, a bunch of different ATP main draws as well, win matches at that level, of course. The season started for you, though, back at the futures level. And I'm curious for you to get to make that sort of progression, to get to play all three levels of the sport. What did that reveal to you about your game? What did you learn about yourself throughout the course of this season? Yeah, I mean, it, it shows that I improved a lot because, you know, starting from juniors and finishing on, on the tours is a big step for sure. I mean, I mean, first of all, I've been playing a lot of matches, as you said, getting a lot of experience, you know, playing all kind of guys there, you know, both the clay grinders, the hard hitters and the hard courts. So it's really helped me to improve my game also, to also see all the small things maybe wasn't good enough to improve them, to to, to play to play a lot of matches and, and uh, you know, also been fighting you know the whole year and and you know getting a lot of wins means a lot it grows your confidence as well so it's a uh, it's really great uh, achievement I think I've done this year and which I'm very proud of and and you know willing to to keep going yeah no I agree with you again 70 and 29 overall by the way even 132 matches in 15 months is impressive 99 and 12 months isn't too bad either that is just a ridiculous <laughs> number and 
you know, looking at the numbers, some of the things that got better for you throughout the course of the season, if you look at your service numbers, your hold percentage jumps by 5%, you know, you're holding 75% of the time to start the year. And yet, as you continue to get to a tougher level of tournament, you start to hold more, you know, you're up to 80% by the end of the season. I'm curious if that serve, that plus one ball was something you focused on in particular this year. Is that something that differentiates maybe the futures level from the ATP level, that ability to just end points that much more quickly? Yeah, I think for sure that that's a big thing because, you know, on the futures too, it's a lot about grinding who can keep the ball mostly on the court. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different game because, you know, on the tour, you need to be able to win your points by yourself. As also I learned this year, every time you have your chance, you've got to take it because you're not going to, nobody's going to hand you the victory or the game or the break point or whatever. So, so yeah, we've been working a lot on the surf specific, but also to try to be as aggressive to play some specific uh, patterns, you know, serve out wide or open coming to the net so some of these kind of thing that uh, suits me very well for my game so and also in a way it's it's you know these matches have forced me to do it because it's on such a high high level and you know i just remember one match against lorenzo sonego in mets and i lost the first at seven six and then i told myself okay i gotta play more aggressive so it kind of forced me to it and and then out of that it just made me a better player Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about those patterns. I was watching the Lechechka match earlier this morning before we started this podcast. And I know this match, you, you know, you end up dropping in three sets. But that first set in particular, it's so fascinating to hear you say the outline plus one forehand to the open court, follow it in pattern, because it does feel like that was something you were having so much success with. And I'm curious if that's, you know, an indoor hard court tactic, something, you know, you have to work in more or to your point, is that something you're trying to work in more broadly? Because it does feel like in particular on your forehand side and i apologize for nerding out here i've watched a lot of your tennis over the past couple of days in preparation but it feels like the forehand side in particular you're getting more aggressive with you're taking earlier in the court is that a fair assessment yeah yeah it's totally is you know my forehand has uh, always been really good but you know in the beginning of of like you know my pro career i've been maybe a little bit afraid of using it and you know now it really you know helps me to I mean, it's really been growing my forehand to, to the good part. I mean, I've really taken some chances and, and you know, stepping into the ball a lot faster and, and used it because I have a great forehand. And uh, I just think it was a matter of time before I, I started using it. And I can see such a big benefit of it because I make, I saw some stats and make a lot of winners and, and very, very little amount of unforced errors. So it's definitely a shot that I, I need to use a lot. Did you feel it, it felt like early on again that the pace perhaps of the ATP level, particularly on the quicker surfaces, that people were trying to go after that forehand because you know it's a little bit of a bigger backswing? Is did you feel that as well from opponents? Because again, the forehand, despite all the success, when I'm looking at what changed for you most this season, it felt like that forehand has turned into just a weapon. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think one of the reasons is why I, that I've always been playing on a very high level, even when I was a young kid and like playing against guys who was one year or two years older. So, it's you know, it's it's always been tough matches and I always really had to think tennis instead of just, you know, hit some strokes and, and see how it goes, because then then their opponents were stronger, they were bigger, they were better. So I really had to to play smart and, and they were usually playing a lot of with their backhand side, making run for the best shot on the forehand. So so it's made me hit a lot of backhands, but you know, as as my phone is is getting better, you know, it's 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 really important to use it also so we can play on, on the whole court. And you know, I definitely feel in the beginning, maybe on the ITFs that a lot of guys were playing me on the forehand, but you know, 
as more as they play in the foreign, as better it gets. So, so that was just a bonus. And, and now I would say it's my my best shot in the tennis court. So, so I mean, it's uh, it's also one of my favorite shots. Yeah. No, it's it's evident. I can see the eyes light up whenever you get that sitting forehand on the court. It's like, all right, it's go time. And you know, you talked about the difference in game style between the futures level and obviously getting to the highest levels of the ATP. You talked about how early on, you know, you got to grind a little bit. And, you know, watching you, I know you're not afraid to be on the grind. You're not afraid to get your court time and play those hour 50 to three hour type matches. You talk about getting some fitness sessions in uh, throughout the course of this offseason. Has that been something you focused on? Do you think that's the next jump for you as well as your fitness level? Yeah, I think so. And that, uh, you know, the match against Novak really made me realize how much it takes to to play with him for over three, four hours. And I think the match was around two and a half hours, but it felt like it was, you know, one day or something, you know. So, so I mean, also Novak is in a special league. I mean, he's better than anyone. So, so it's probably the hardest opponent to ever face. But, but still, it, it really made me realize also when I play, you know, as I said, Sonego or Carreño Busta, these guys, they're physically tough. You really got to grind and play aggressive at the same time. So it, it really also forced me to improve on the fitness. And, and that's what we've been working a lot here in the preseason. And uh, yeah, as I said, making a lot of fitness sessions, both on the court and off the court. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. And I mean, as a, I've never, you know, as a junior, just only been serving or hitting big forehand. So I've always had that natural playing long rally. So, so it's, it's really natural for me and it's just the fitness just got to go on with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talking about that fitness, watching you play, and I warned you, you might swear at me. I think this is the question where you're going to do it if you do, although probably not, but look, you've cramped at times throughout the course of your career. There's no doubt. And look, you're 16, 17, 18 years old when you're cramping, it happens to all of us. But is that something you felt early in your career? And I'm curious, like, again, I, I, there might be a false perception that at times that happens to you. Is that something you think no longer will be happening moving forward? You know, is that something you focused on minimizing? Yeah, for sure. You know, I've actually, I, you know, I always, uh, I already started doing something about it after I played in South America this year, where it happened twice in Chile and Santiago and uh, it was really bad cramping and I managed to win actually both matches, but there was a very bad feeling and, you know, it's not easy to play like this and especially in this heat. And as I'm a person and a player that sweats a lot on the court when it's humid, I, I really need to drink a lot. And, you know, so, so we really came down with the, with the nutrition after that and, and saw what needed to be improving. And, and after that, actually only one match had happened and that was against Novak. So, mm -hmm. so for half a year, it didn't happen. So that, that's a positive thing. And, um, you know, after that, I haven't felt anything like that. So maybe it was just a bit of tension against Novak, but, you know, it's, it's about, you know, saving some energy also in these kind of matches because it's long matches and it's a lot of rallies, a lot of grind and uh, a lot of emotions as well. So it's, you know, it's 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 great to save energy but uh, you know also to to be able to drink the right amount that i have to yeah no i mean again it's it, it sounds like it's more of a body management thing than any sort of fitness issue and you know as yeah. you're becoming a professional again it's worth mentioning still just 18 years old but are those the things you have to focus on and i'm curious what does body management look like to you you talk about the fluids and stuff is it just eating differently what are those things yeah, I mean, I started taking magnesium 
Because sure. I was thinking that I got too little of that and that really helps me. So before, you know, before I sleep every day, I, I take that to avoid, you know, cramping also in practice or whatever. And and if you see, I, as you said, it's, it's not about the fitness level because I can practice for five, six hours and play normal matches for five hours. And it's not a problem. I, I don't cramp. So it's, it's probably, you know, I don't know, either too little drinking or too much tension and all. And, and we've, we've been controlling that pretty well and, and use it in a good favor. Yeah, no, again, that's part of the fun, right, of becoming a professional. And, you know, you've referred to the Novak match. I am sure every interviewer you've had has asked you about it. Here's the spin I'm going to throw at you. You had not played a hard court match since January going into that U.S. Open. Of course, you come through qualifying, you drop one set in the qualifying. What clicked for you so well on the surface after, you know, six, seven months away? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, actually, as you said, I just came right from two plate court tournaments in, in Italy and had two or three days on hard court. And I think what's really important that I had so many matches in my back. So, you know, matches is matches, no matter where you play. I mean, of course, they're different, but, you know, the whole mindset is the same no matter where you play. So, so that was really a bonus. And, you know, all the matches I played this year has helped me a lot. But, yeah, I mean, you know, on the hard courts, I've, Actually, in the last tournament I played in Italy, my focus was, because I knew I was going to play the qualities, to play very close to the baseline, try to play aggressive. So already one week before I started, you know, having that kind of thing in mind to, to stay closer and, and, you know, go more through the ball and, and come more to the net and stuff. But, I mean, you know, I've always, I've grown on, up on hardcore. I'm, I'm from Denmark, you know, it's, it's cold and it's snowing and everything. So, so we're playing a lot on hard. And I think my game style is, is pretty good on hardcore too. I mean, it's obviously very natural for me to play and play as well, but I think I would consider myself as an all-court player. When you're training in this offseason, are you mixing up surfaces? Are you working both hard courts, clay courts? I'm, I'm always curious what that looks like because I'm also from a northern state here in the U.S. and Michigan, and it's like in December, you're indoors. You're playing hard courts, 20-degree courts, everything's skidding, and you know that's half the fun. That said, you put you on clay and, I, you know, it's a whole nother beast from a training perspective. So I'm curious how you balance the surface versatility. Yeah, I mean, usually I just practice what I'm, I'm going to play my next tournament on. So now yeah. I'm practicing a lot on hard courts and on a little bit of different kind of hard courts. Some a bit faster, some a bit slower. It depends on where I practice. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's usually I think it's, it's good to, to practice on the surface that you're going to play on. But also, you know, I'm not so, uh, you know, uh, you know, I can play one week and play one week and hard. I don't really care what surface I play on. And uh, it's it's always been pretty easy for me to change surface. Have you ever played on carpet? Yes, a lot of times. Give me the details. Because to me, I'm like so happy it's extinct. I'm like fine with no carpet. But I'm curious, is it fun? <laughs> like, what does what carpet play like? Yeah, I mean, if... Like the bounce is pretty much uh, much like grass. It's very low, but it's so much faster than grass. So it's not really, you cannot really compare it. And, you know, I think it's, you don't see a lot of tennis tournaments like that because it's skipping through. It's so quick and it's, it's a little bit weird to move on, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it's different, but actually I, you know, I grew up on pretty fast surface then I moved to another club where they had carpet on all the courts and, uh, you know, so I obviously practice a lot on that. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe that, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's different, but it's not my favorite surface for sure. That's fair. No, I, I feel like, again, if you want, if you need the confidence boost for your serve, go practice on carpet, right? Everything's an ace yeah. over there. So you're like, I don't, yeah, yeah, let's get I don't. a quick 
session. Yeah. But, you know, with that said, I do want to take a, you know, a deep dive into your background, because, of course, you look at Denmark and, you know, it's not just yourself, but you've got Clara Tawson coming up the ranks as well right now. And obviously you look back to Caroline Wozniacki and all she did uh, and all of her success. Give me the whole Garoon origin story. How do you find your way to the tennis club? And was it love at first forehand? Almost. And yeah, I mean, basically my sister, she started playing tennis and, and then I came to try it and I thought it was a, a lovely sport and, uh, you know, just been playing a lot when I always, when I was a kid, I actually always wanted to be a pro even when I started. So it was like, I really had that passion for tennis, which I didn't have for football, which I also played a little bit of. So I could easily feel, okay, this is my passion. And, and I think that's, that's a beautiful thing to find in such a young age, you know, to, to find your passion already there. And then I was playing a lot with my sister and she's four years older. She was obviously better than me back, back then. So she could really push me and we could play, you know, every day because we live together and everything. So, so for me, that was very helpful. And, and obviously my mom has a big impact on, on my tennis career as well. She's been following me uh, since I started also. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that's how I started. Yeah, no, it's so I have an older sibling as well. And I could tell you exactly when it was June it was my sophomore year of high school. I'm, the, the date is blank, but he comes back from this summer trip mm -hmm. and I kicked his ass like we're talking mm -hmm. one in one. He just was not yeah. in form. And to me, that was one of those, you know, seminal moments for me where I'm like, all right, I got you. Yeah. You remember yeah. the time you beat Alma? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we played a lot of points, and obviously, as sibling has some fights, we, we also maybe she took a ball on the line or whatever. So, so there was, you know, a kind of a war going on sometimes. But, you know, it's I think it was great because obviously we both have that uh, winner will inside us, and and that's I think a positive thing and a good thing because then we could really push each other on the tennis court and really see. You know, I don't know how we improve and 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 who could be the best. And and I mean, after that, I've always had that winner mindset. And yeah, yeah, no. And you talked about again, always wanting to be a professional. And look, you had plenty of success. You know, 2017, 2018 on the junior circuit, but 2019, the big year for you. You win the junior French Open. You win the junior ITF Masters. You turn pro in 2020. Was that always the plan to just, you know, again, go straight to the professional ranks? Was college ever something you considered or is it, you know, once you win that junior slam, things feel good enough to maybe make that push? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I always wanted to be number one in the world. So college was obviously not an option for me. And, uh, and I mean, you know, even back in juniors, when I lost the second round of junior Australian Open, I still wanted to be number one in the world. And, and of course, my, my junior goal was was to win a junior Grand Slam. And, and when that happened, I was to, I was eager to finish as number one. And then I won the Masters and became number one. And, and then after that, it was like a natural step to go to the pros because no reason to play any more, more juniors. I reached the goal I wanted to do. And, and now it's time to move on and, and chase my real dream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you turn pro at the start of 2020, you're able to sneak in a couple of tournaments uh, before the start or before the start of the pandemic. But, you know, it's worth mentioning, I think you lost your first five matches in 2020, you know, before uh, the, the start of that pandemic. How frustrating were those six months of nothingness? You know, you had just turned pro, you're getting eager. Obviously, you've played 132 matches since. How difficult were those six months? What did you focus on in that time? I mean, definitely the start was not easy because, you know, coming from winning almost every match to, to losing five or six in a row was, 
was really hard, but you know, it, it was very frustrating because all of a sudden, you know, you, you really didn't get any points easy. As also I mentioned, now you have to grind a lot. And in, in juniors also, I won a lot of matches on respect and, you know, you're just playing too good and stuff like that. And, and you know, in seniors, there comes a 16-year-old guy, they have no respect for you. So they just want to beat you. And, and that's what they did. And, you know, maybe it's, it was a good thing because then I really, you know, said to myself, oh, I really need to get better. I'm, I'm not finished, even though I'm number one in juniors. I really, you know, there's, there's a long way still. And, and then, I mean, then the pandemic come, it was a bad thing, but maybe it was a good thing for me because then I had a lot of time to practice and, and to improve me as a tennis player and not focus too, many, too much on matches and result and ranking and all, on all this stuff. And, and then when the tournament started again, I came out to play a lot of futures and had the right mindset and uh, obviously knew what to do and, and had the possibility to practice in the COVID was, was really important for me because then I could really improve, grow as a person, grow as a player, fitness as well. So, um, you know, I think, I think it was not the worst thing for me. Yeah, no, and then of course you come back out of that uh, out out of that lay uh, layoff, and you know you make a bunch of futures finals to end the year. You make a couple futures finals to start this year as well, and then you go down to South America, and we talked about it again. But I want to lock in on Santi uh, Santiago, where you made. I, I think you know you come through qualifying, you make the quarterfinals, but I think it was like eight hours of court time during those three qualifying matches. And, you know, again, to get that experience to play at ATP level that early in your career, I, you know, I know you played Davis cup before, but what did that Santiago run do for your confidence? I mean, a lot, it, it realized me that I, I had the, the level to play in the ATP tour. Obviously it was maybe not the strongest tournament, but you know, it's still, it was a tough matches, you know, especially in the qualifying, there was all, players that have been doing incredibly well on the Challenger Tour and, and very difficult to play. And then I came into the main draw playing another qualifier and, and really played a, a good match against Baez, who's, who's, you know, playing well as well, winning a lot of challenges and, and doing good. And then after I played the Benoit, which uh, I was, you know, I had the opportunity to play even last year, the year before in an exhibition match. So, so maybe that was a good thing because then I kind of knew him, kind of knew what to do. And I know he was obviously not in his best period and he maybe had, didn't have so much confidence. So I played a bit on that and, and tried to be really pumped and be really there on every point to make him frustrated. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden I was in quarters. So it, it went, that week went pretty fast and, and, you know, it, it was definitely one of my best week of this year. I feel like that's where the first ATP title is going to come. You going down there again next year? Yeah, that's a plan. Yeah. 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 And also, I like playing in altitude. So, so it's a good thing. That's what I was going to say. How is the altitude down? Obviously, I'm sure that contributes to the cramps a bit as well. But is that, you know, again, you go from hardcore matches to the altitude of the clay. I can't imagine that's an easy adjustment. That was really difficult. And even I came from Argentina the week before with first clay also, but, but the altitude, it was normal Dunlop balls and in altitude, I think over 1,300 or something. So it was really difficult to play. I mean, I only had one day before my first match and I lost the first set in the first round of qualities and I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. And, and <laughs> you know, then when I ended up in the quarterfinal, I was thinking back on the first match and if I said back then, okay, I was going to make quarter, I would say, no, you're kidding. And, and, you know, so it's always about, you know, fighting and staying in the present, staying in the moment and, and do everything you can to, to stay. You brought up the match, so I have to ask, what's the most difficult part of playing Benoit? Is it the forehand drop shots? Or are you just like, again? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not really the drop shot. I actually like when people do drop shots. So, <laughs> yeah. no, but I think his serve or his backhand, his backhand was tricky because he's so early on the ball and, and he really angles it well on, on you know, either inside yeah. out or back across. And, and then the serve is obviously a bit rusty. He makes a lot of double falls, but when the first serve is in, it's really tough to do anything, and especially in the altitude. Mm -hmm. No, it, it was a fun match to watch. And yeah, it, it's interesting to watch his backhand against your backhand, because I feel like, you know, again, you talk about the forehand being the weapon now, but watching you play, it feels like the backhand comes so easily to you. Like that is the shot that when, you know, regardless of your level, it's not going to be the backhand side that breaks down for you. Is that fair? No. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. You know, my backhand has always been so natural to me. I step in all the time. I, I time it very well. So, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, if I'm playing five all in the fifth set and I hit a backhand cross, that's probably not going to be the one I miss. So, yeah. so you know, that's, that's always going to be a shot that I can count on, which is very good because, you know, a lot of players are struggling. I'm struggling, yeah. not struggling, but maybe under pressure, they're not as good as as other strokes in their game on the backhand side. So it's uh, I'm happy that I have the backhand I have. I know you're feeling it when the matches you step up and you're taking that ball early down the line and it's just like, all right, he's winning today. Like, sorry guys, it's, it's just a tough day. Holger's got it. Um, but you know, looking again, and we, and we've talked about all these different parts of your season, but you mentioned qualifying for the next gen finals. What did that mean to you? And what did you take away from that experience? It meant a lot. I mean, I was very close not to get in because, you know, then I thought Sino was going to play and, and Felix as well, but but then, I mean, it meant a lot. It was a big accomplishment because, you know, I've been playing a lot of matches this year, winning a lot of challenges. So I feel like I deserved it in a way. And, and you know, to play that event was amazing. I mean, such a good event, you know, with the spectators again and, and everything. And, you know, it, it was obviously different to play only to four. It was very quick, quick service, um, quick matches as well. So, but I mean, the, the whole event was great. Did you like the no ad? Um, in some matches, yes, but not in, not in other matches. No, I mean, I like it in a way because it's, I think for like the fans, it's really good because there's, there comes another tension on it and it's like deciding point now. And, and also for the player, it's, it's mentally good because you really got to, you know, you know, take your chance and go for it and, and see who's best under pressure. Mm -hmm. And obviously in that tournament, you get to compete with guys like Carlos and Sebastian, Brandon, you know, uh, both Sebastians, I should say. Uh, I'm curious, you know, again, seeing the success of your peer group, of the sinners of the world, the Alcarazes of the world, does that light a fire under you? Like, do you notice, I mean, it's easy to say I'm focused on myself, I'm focused on my results, but you can be honest here. Do you see the success they're having? And does that, you know, again, light a fire for you? Yeah, I mean, I obviously saw what Carlos did this year. It was incredible how he, you know, also came so quick out of juniors into the pros and, and did so well. So that was inspiring and, and, you know, pushing me in a way. So I think it was good that, you know, he improved very fast with his coach and and, and did some incredibly things. And now I, I got to play him first time on the tour and I could see how, how much he improved and what he did very well. And, and you know, I think, I think it's great to see someone in my age also doing so well. So, so yeah, I mean, I think the future is great. I think... The future is going to be very exciting because they have more energy. A lot of the guys like me, Carlos, Musetti, these guys are very energized on the court. And I think that's what the fans want to see. And, and that's going to be really interesting to see the future. Yeah, no, I, there's no doubt about that. There is an excitement around your group. And yeah, there's just all of you guys seem so talented. All of you guys seem to also really enjoy the tennis and just want to be the best pros you can be. With that said, you finished 67th in the points race this year and yet you're ranked number 103. You've talked about it publicly. 
but I want to give you the chance to do so here. How frustrating is that fact? You were a top 100 player last year. The ranking does not reflect that. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm over it. It's fine. Sure. You know, I just got to accept it. But, you know, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, after, you know, winning, 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 we keep playing and still, you know, having to qualify for that and that and that, you know, and, and keep seeing all the old guys in, in the top 100 was frustrating because, you know, I think the ranking should be fair. And I think, you know, the guy who wins four challenges one year is almost impossible not to be in top 100 and, and do quarters of two ATPs. But, you know, Again, I mean, it's the same for a lot of guys. It's not only me. It's also like Sebastian Baez, Serundolo, all these guys who's been playing a lot of challenges. It's it's the same. They shouldn't have the ranking they have now, like me. They should be much higher. But but still, you know, it's it's gonna be better already from next year. They're gonna drop the points, and it's gonna be a fair ranking again. And I'm just really excited for that. Yeah, no, it's I I imagine goal number one is like, and it's only going to take a week, but it's like get into the top 100. And then from there, we'll do the rest of the stuff and have some fun. But look, you got into the main draw with your ranking of the Australian Open, I believe. You're going to get in. You're not going to have to play qualifying. And I'm curious, you know, obviously you qualify for the US Open. You've played main draws of slams before. But what does that accomplishment mean for you? How does that shape this offseason? Yeah, I mean, from, from, you know, the last couple of tournaments of the year, that was the main goal, actually, to finish in top 100 or not, whatever. It, it, it would be nice if it would have happened, but still, you know, being able to play the main draw in Australian Open was, was the main thing. And, and when I saw that, I was extremely happy because actually next year is officially my first year as a senior. You know, I, I'm, I can't play juniors anymore, so I think already to be able to play in a main draw in a Grand Slam is, is a great achievement so far. So I'm just... I'm just really happy and, and really excited to go out there and, and do my best and, and see what happens. You know, I've been training well, so so let's see. How many three out of five set matches have you played in your life? Um, five set matches? Yeah, or just, you know, best of five format. Like in, when you're in practice now getting ready for the Australian Open, are you saying, hey, let's play best of five here. I need to get my body ready. Or is that not something you need to do? Well, I mean, we don't play best of fives because they can take a very long time, but, yeah. but we try, try to play like, um, you know, either three hours of practice in a row. So we go a longer session and, and then we have a couple of things who can measure like how many meters I run compared to a five setter and, and what my pulse is on during this kind of exercise and really trying to go like very short amount of break and, and a lot of series in a row before the break. So all some specific things we've been doing. Yeah. I, how's the heart rate look? It's getting better. It's getting better. It's very high when I try to, so that's <laughs> a good thing, but the most important is I can keep up there. And, you know, as also I've been practicing with Medvedev a lot here and, and been watching him practice also, I can really see what, what it, what it takes to play those five setters. It's definitely not easy. And Novak was my first one. And obviously I guess Novak is not the easiest one to play a five set match against, yeah. but you know, it, it really takes some physically. Mm -hmm. No, what I mean, I you talk about training with Medvedev, you know, last few questions here. But so wh where are you training this offseason? What have you been up to? I've been training at uh, Moratulo and in Monaco at the same time. So I've been uh, playing with a lot of the guys here. They're all practicing here. Dimitrov, Felix, Medvedev, etc. And, you know, it's, I think it's good because we can all practice together. And as, as men's, men's tennis is, is pretty good, you know, we can all practice, have fun. And, and when we step on the match court, we're competitors and, and enemies. And after that, we can be good friends. And I think, you know, I think I really, I really enjoyed my time here and, and feel very prepared for next year already. That's a fun training group. Could be worse than that situation. I mean, how's the competition? It sounds like it's pretty good competition. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is. We, you know, we've been playing sets and a lot of drills, a lot of point through and and that, and it's it's really challenging. I mean, if I have to say who's the most challenging, it has to be Medvedev. You know, he's 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 a different different yeah. player. Yeah, just again, it's I imagine that hour, and you know, again. I, I didn't ask, I suppose, but I, I have to do this. The match against Djokovic, what's, what's your lasting memory of that one? What was the biggest takeaway in the end? Obviously, you take that second set 7-6 and you're able to extend him to four sets. But what's your biggest takeaway from a match like that and from practicing with the Medvedevs of the world? What do they have that maybe you don't right now? Um, I think what they're really good at, I wouldn't say I don't have it, but what they're really good at is playing very close to the lines. I would say always moving their opponent and playing so precise. And, and, you know, as I could see now, I've been practicing with Medvedev. Even before we start practice, his coach put targets out where he has to hit and for me as well. So, so we play like points drill. Okay. First up to 30, who can go first without missing and stuff like that. So, so, you know, it's, it's funny to see because when you watch them play matches, you say like, how can they be so precise and everything, you know, changing direction and everything, but that comes for a reason, obviously. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that I've been working a lot on to keep moving my opponent because when people are moving me, I'm incredibly good to, to play very close to the lines and, you know, come back to, to offensive again. But I've, uh, you know, me and my coach, we've been, trying to improve when I'm aggressive to really move my opponent. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating to hear. And we all look forward to that. All right, last last three questions for you, I promise. When you're not on the tennis court this offseason, what is Holger Rune up to? What do you do in that spare time? What are you What are you doing to, you know, relax in those non-court yeah. hours? Well, I haven't had a lot, actually. You know, my days are so busy. So it's actually, I mean, sleeping, I would say. <laughs> sleeping, yeah. 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 No Netflix show? No no F1 or football team you're following closely? As you just said, Netflix, I've actually just watched some Netflix. <laughs> That's good. You've earned it, right? Definitely yeah. earned that right to do that. I also have yeah. a theory, and this is really stupid, but that tennis players are underrated eaters that just, like, if you go to dinner with tennis players, you will be fascinated to see how much they eat. I imagine mm -hmm. getting to be in Monaco, getting to be at Mortlou, hanging with some of the guys that have been some fun meals this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you ask me, I guess I eat a lot. You know, I, try, <laughs> I try to control it, you know, to eat the things I have to eat to be a better player and a better athlete. So, you know, the nutrition is an important part, but as you burn so, much, so many calories off and everything, you, you really need food and you need the right amount. So, you know, it, it's, an, it's an important thing. You know, food is as important as the fitness, I would say. Yeah, but you go back to back, win those challenger titles before the U.S. Open. What's the celebratory meal? Are we talking ice cream? We're talking nice piece of chocolate cake. What? How does Holger Rune celebrate? Um, when my coach is not looking, you're asking me <laughs> because he doesn't like me to eat sweets. I would probably say either ice cream or a chocolate mousse. You know. Yeah, that's so, what I like so, to hear. Good. No, you've earned it. Well, then again, my last yeah. question for you: as we look towards 2022. I know goals, accomplishments, obviously it's be the best player you can be day in, day out. But what are you hoping to, you know, accomplish in, again, your first, as you mentioned, full year on the Pro Tour? My, you know, I have ranking goal, obviously, but I have a goal to win an ATP 250 before May. And after that, be able to win a 500 mm -hmm. if that's possible. So it's about, you know, playing regularly on the tour, not going, the plan is not to play any challenges anymore because, as the ranking system already from January, February should be a lot better. And I have the both possibility to play Minjo in Australia and 
I think I would get into South America even in main draw of all the ATPs. So it's about playing regularly on the tour and, and, and seeing if I can get the, a title in 250 before May because I've done two quarters now and and even one strong one in Mets. So I, I really believe I can do it. Yeah, no, we. I'm a believer as well. Again, sincerely watching you play all year long. A, it was guaranteed to find you every week, as I've mentioned, which we always appreciate. But B, uh, I mean, so much success. And uh, it's evident within 30 seconds of watching you play how talented you are. So, Holger, obviously, congratulations on a fantastic 2021 season. I said it right now, just lock it in. You will be the newcomer of the year in 2022. You can just, like, lock that award in right now if you're a fan of the APP Tour. But, you know, thank you so so much for taking the time to come on the show today wishing you success health throughout the rest of your off season and of course throughout the 2022 season thank you so much man i appreciate it yeah of course take care Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with former world junior number one, now ATP number 103, Holger Rune. I was sincere when I said it. You can guarantee he's going to be newcomer of the year next year on the ATP tour. Something will have to go drastically wrong for Holger Rune not to end up as the youngest player to crack the top 100 next season. So again, I'm telling you now, expect big things from the 18-year-old moving forward. And a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat with us today, of course, if you've missed any of our other coverage of this offseason, you can hear my conversation with another one of 2021's big stars, Stefan Kozlov, clinching that USTA Australian Open wildcard down the season's home stretch. We talked to him last week on the mini break podcast two weeks ago, I suppose now, so you can go find that episode over there, of course. We're previewing the season from just about every angle on our two other podcasts. If you miss any of our episodes, you can find them all on CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to those shows, share them with your friends as well. If you're looking for conversations to fuel uh, this holiday season with your tennis friends, hopefully our podcast will be able to provide you with a few conversation topics. Of course, a shout out as always to the man who makes all of this content possible, Daniel Westoff, our super producer for the of an editing job he does day in, day out. If you've missed any of our other content, again, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, Holger Roon, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>